0: Welcome to Vineyard sixty one's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this
1: week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website vineyard 61org dot org or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Morning, everyone. Good to see you all, and um, welcome to everybody tuning in online, I have to get used to saying this, but um, if you're tuning in in your living rooms or from your kitchens, um, wherever you are, and also to our Battersea site, you're really welcome. Um, we send our love and hope that you've been blessed so far um, with what you've heard. And I want everyone online, actually, to know that what you're going to experience uh, for this next 25 minutes, you're very much a part of what God's going to do. Um so great to everybody in the room, and I want to commend SP and Julie, I don't know if Julie's here today, um, yep, there she is, for um, just a really powerful and inspirational message last week and, and the week before, so honored to, to build on this um, series of worship. Okay, so God is here, if, you've, if you didn't realize that during the worship, um, God is indeed here, and I, I pray that he will speak to us all um, at this time. I'm going to launch straight in and, and really try and pick up from where SP and Julie left off last week. We're talking about worship. When people hear the word worship, they typically think of singing, right? That's the normal thing to think about. Of course, not everybody's got the best singing voice. So you might think that that's a bit of a stumbling block uh, to one's worship. But the truth is, we can sing and not actually worship. Yeah? We can worship and not actually sing. So we need to think about what worship is. I love um, William Temple, Anglican priest um, from the early 20th century, uh, has this quote. He says, to worship is to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God. Feed the mind with the truth of God, purge the imagination by the beauty of God, and to open the heart to the love of God. So today I wanna double click on the beauty of God, the love of God. Um, But to begin with sort of a definition, in case you've missed some of the last um, messages, worship is simply intentionally turning our mind and heart to God. It's reorienting ourselves to God. The basic idea is one of setting our affections on God. And, you know, of course, you can do that sitting down silently uh, with a friend. I was watching as we were worshipping, just looking at the different ways in which we engage with the Lord with our hands. Some people were quite quiet, and that's all good. Um, You know, some people were dancing with joy, which is great. And I used to be in a church where there was lots of flags. We don't tend to have much flags Um, (laughs) here. So, but when we think, uh, the the point I want to impress on you in the first instance is when we think about our starting point with worship, um, the starting point is to remind ourselves of who God is. You see, God is pure, overwhelming at times, unblemished and unconditional love. Many of you have experienced God's presence and will know there's a sort of beauty to it. I know when I experience God's presence, all I can ever seem to do is cry. And you're often sort of left lost for words. Of course, if you don't feel anything when you're in God's presence, doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you or um, that God indeed isn't present. But as a worshiping community, it's important to grasp that not only is God ever present, but to have a clear and constant vision of God's love for us because that's really the starting point of worship. And when we think about it, I mean, if you really just pause for a moment and think about it, it's not actually amazing that God loves me or God loves you. It would be amazing if God didn't love you. See, the amazement is that the source of life, the unknown God, as SP mentioned, the creator of the universe, is love. That's the amazement. And some of you, you know, naturally have your doubts and and questions about this, given our various experiences and disappointments in life. And it's important not to set these aside, not to discard these. At the same time, it's okay to doubt your doubts. But when we think about the worship as a starting point, um, let's remember that whenever you come here on a Sunday, or whenever you turn to worship in the morning when you get out of bed or before you head into your place of work, we don't need a whole song and dance about how sorry, sorry we are before we come to worship. Yet, we ought to confess our sins one to another and to the Lord. But you'll remember the story of the prodigal son, right, Where that Jesus told, and, and the father in the story didn't require any song and dance. In fact, it was the son that had the song and dance. So the father instead stood waiting with open arms So this is the first point I want to make to everybody online, um, Battersea, and those far and near. It's critical to keep to mind the love of God as we come to worship. How about beauty? When it comes to sung worship, you know, there's something really unique about what was going on this morning, that what goes on every time we open our mouths to sing. A bit of a sort of intro into my own early experiences. So growing up, I led a range of choirs, um, you know, again, similar to Julian and SP, sang in various groups, was performing on tour in different places. And, you know, I really thank God for the amazing musicians um, and singers that I've been able to meet over the years. But it wasn't really until my mid-twenties when my encounters and understanding of who God is really began to grow and began to sort of shape my overall worship life. Um, a dream, I, I had a dream a number of years ago that, that I want to share, and it was one of the most memorable encounters with Jesus that I had in the dream. So we're in the dream, and I saw what I guess you might describe as an, an angel, it was uh, a figure in, in clothed in white, I mean, it just had to be clothed in white, <laughs> it wasn't purple, it wasn't blue, just clothed in, clothed in white, and um, it, the person was coming down from the sky. And um, I remember during the dream hearing a worship song um, by Corey Asbury from, um, some of you might know, from the International House of Prayer in Kansas, um, America. And it's a song called Shekinah. And again, if you don't know, the word Shekinah means uh, dwelling. It's a Hebrew word for dwelling, which sort of describes when God's presence settles on a place or group of people. Um, again, it, it can sometimes result in weird and wonderful displays. Um, I keep mentioning SP because, I, again, I, I've been listening closely to the messages and I think SP talked a little bit about some of those weird and wonderful. Do you remember the, was it the lion or the cheetah? Yeah, the lion, that's it. <laughs> if you know, you know. Just go, go and listen to the, um, yeah, cheetah. Where did I get that from? Um, I knew it was some kind of animal. So, in the dream, so back to dream. I was in the dream and for some reason I said the words I want to see where the dry bones live. And it's a phrase from Ezekiel 37 uh, about revival. I don't particularly remember reading or thinking about that passage at the time, but it's what came out of my mouth. And this angel turned around and said to me, you wait till you see him. You're going to be in for a treat. And I immediately knew who the messenger was, or who the messenger was talking about. Um, and I remember feeling scared at the time. I, I, I kind of felt like I'd be called out as a, as a fraud, as someone who doesn't really love Jesus. I distinctly remember that feeling. Um, and I think this is something I've struggled with deep down for a number of years, and, and maybe some of you do. Um, this just this feeling of maybe being sort of found out that maybe you don't really have a desire for the Lord and, and it's just all all fake. Um, but when I saw Jesus in the dream, I was completely, I was completely blown away, um, so much so that I did I remember doing a sort of a matrix style backflip <laughs> there was sort of weren 't no bullets, but they were I was just sort of spinning spinning backwards, and all I remember was that his love was so magnetic, so strong, um, and I could sense that jesus 's desire for you for me, for us is so strong, and at the same time of being literally blown backwards, I was being pulled in to Jesus at the same time, to this sort of being blown away and then being pulled in. There were two words I could use to describe um, what I was sensing. One was beauty, again, and the other one was the word pure. It's almost like if you took the purest of oils, the purest of natural, naturally occurring oils, that it, it just couldn't compare to how pure Jesus was. Or if you think of the most perfect child, and we've got the beautiful child here in front of us, you know, how pure she is. Again, you know, unsurprisingly, Jesus in the dream felt like a million times more perfect and pure, like just on another level. Sorry, just, you know, you've got some, you've got some competition. <laughs> um, and, and that was a very formational experience for me. You see, and so I wrote a song based on the dream, and I, it was called it's called "Beauty of Your Face: Beauty of Your Face." I'm still in the process of recording um, the album, so look, at, look out for it at a Spotify playlist <laughs> near you. Um, but um, I'll read out some of the words um, that I captured after the dream: The beauty of your face, the wonders of your name. Your amazing grace. I' am forever changed. Your smile, it draws me in. I'm swept off my feet by your goodness. I can walk before your throne free from accusation. Again, I share this to say that the starting point of worship is to have a clear and constant vision of God's love for us. That we can stand before him free of guilt, free of shame and any self-condemnation. Because we are his, and he is ours. Now, before we continue, I want to spend just a few more, few more moments in, in worship, actually, um, as you hold that story that I've heard that was just shared, the dream, in, in your minds. Hymns are a perfect way, I think, of doing what William Temple described Earlier, So, feeding the mind with the truth of God, purging the imagination by the beauty of God, opening the heart to the love of God. So, as you sing this hymn, um, just hold within you the sense of God's never-ending affection for you. I'm going to try and make my way up there. Too. My voice is feeling pretty rusty today, so I'm going to need you all to help help out as we. When I survey the wondrous cross. Accessible.
0: So See from his head. See from his head Love so amazing, Sing so divine. Demands my soul, my life, my own. Sing love so amazing.
1: Thank you living God, thank you, Jesus. Just if those of you that are online or in Betsy, just if we we just want to pause for a moment and give God space. We thank you that your love is so amazing, so divine. so real, so pure. There's nothing we could give in exchange. But indeed, you're worthy of our lives. You're worthy of our all, of every single thing that we have. So Father, as we continue in this, I just pray that you'd make us hungry, Father. That we'd be ravished with Jesus. May we be ravished with the person of Jesus Christ, with your kingdom. I pray for a deep hunger to go and deep within all of us, a deep fire. I pray for new desires for everyone that's listening online, for fresh desires. Not that we try and repress our current desires that, that maybe take us away from you, but for new, fresh desires for your kingdom, Father. This is God purging the imagination with his beauty, opening our hearts. Is love. Such powerful words, you can sense that God is near. You can sense that God is with us. As both the tenderness and the strength of that hymn stays with you. As the words linger in your spirit and quietly move you. I just want to continue and think about why worship is so important. Why it's so powerful. We know that many of the psalms would have been sung and um, were often set to music. We could have a whole deep discussion, in fact, um, and I'd be interested in it with, with anyone at any time, about the nature of music, poetry, creativity, and art. If you've not heard, however, of um, a chap called Ray Hughes, um, I'd certainly recommend his teaching to you. Um, he teaches a lot on, on music and creativity. But in terms of this question of why it's so important, I'm reminded of E.Y. Harburg, who uh, wrote Somewhere Over the Rainbow. He said, Words make you think, music makes you feel, and a song makes you feel a thought. Words make you think, music makes you feel, and a song makes you feel a thought. So in some mysteriously profound way, sung worship enables us to feel deep down these very powerful truths. And remember, you don't have to be a great singer. You don't have to have a voice um, in order to engage with worship but it's such a vulnerable and exposing activity, right? It opens our hearts to God. So as we sort of begin to to sort of wrap up, there's a few thoughts that I want to share. Um, There's lots of things we can talk about with worship. Um, There's the the classic worship leader DJ who sings two fast songs, one slow song, and everybody looks at their clock to see how long until the football starts or whatever the case might be. that's, that's a, an important conversation to, to be had, but I wanna, I'd love to talk about it another time. I want to impress upon you two practical um, thoughts around worship. One around the idea of unity in worship and the other expectancy. My spiritual mentor, who I think I quote every time I, I speak, uh, Dallas Willard said, personalities united can contain more of God and sustain the force of his greater presence much better than scattered individuals. Personalities united contain more of God, can contain more of God, and sustain the force of his presence much better than scattered individuals. Uh, When I was preparing for this message, I didn't expect that the idea of unity would come up, but as I talked to God, um, the word came to me. And there are many dimensions to this. We know that Jesus prayed that we'd be one. Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthian church, said that let there be no division among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. So why is this important? Why is unity something we should consider when we're coming together to worship? Psalm 133 says, God commands his blessing where there is unity. It starts with, oh, how great it is for for brothers and sisters to be in unity. I don't know if we've got it there. But it's it's a short six-verse psalm. um, and I think there's something in that. Jesus said, when you have a disagreement with someone, leave your gift at the altar and go and fix it. That's my summary of it. Um, but, you know, imagine that for a moment. Imagine being at a wedding or being at an event. And the groom says, hang on one minute. I just need to get in the taxi and drive somewhere. And I need to sort something out and be back. You know, you'd think it'd be pretty weird. What lengths would you go to restore the peace between you and another person? Is there someone you need to forgive when you approach worship? Corporate worship I'm talking about. That person might be yourself. But Jesus seemed to think it important enough, unity that is, to mention it. You know, if you've come to church with a friend or with a housemate or a spouse or partner, you know, you can probably imagine the number of times you arrive not slightly in quite agreement and unified, um, let's just say. <laughs> so, again, there are lots of moments and opportunities for us to um, check our hearts before we worship. So to recap, we've talked about God being love as a starting point of worship. God being unconditional never-ending love with intense affection for us. And we say that God is here. What would it be like if we came to public worship and imagine that actually God was sitting right down on that front chair as we worshipped? How would that change our worship, I wonder? Because God is here. So unity is key. So finally, expectancy. I love this verse from Psalm, which says, it's Psalm 16, verse 8. Oh, there we go. It says, um, so my translation says, I have set the Lord always before me. He's at my right hand. I will not be moved. I've set the Lord always before me. He's at my right hand. I will not be moved. So how does one set the Lord before us, before oneself? And this is quite important for for those of us who work everyday jobs. You know, we spend more time at work, don't we, than we do with our own families and friends. How do we, in our daily lives, set the Lord before us? This passage suggests that the psalmist used his imagination to make the presence of God more real to him. Um, And I found, just to share, I found some simple expressions to help in this area. So in the morning, when I wake up, as part of my own devotional time, I'll sort of pause and say, Lord, I receive you. And, you know, I I might take a few lines from Psalm 23, um, the Lord's Prayer. I think those are two great places to start um, and make the words my own. So I might, instead of saying, hallowed be your name, which just feels a bit old-fashioned, I might say, Lord... May your name be treasured, and may your name be loved. And you'll have your own expressions that work for you. These are simple expressions of worship that can keep the Lord always before our minds. My wife, Bianca, who's sitting in the audience, often likes to say, Jesus, take the wheel. That's her sort of expression. Um, Obviously not because I'm doing anything I shouldn't be doing, or I'm frustrating her at all, nothing to do with that. (laughs) Um, Benny Hinn the famous tele-evangelist used to talk about good morning Holy Spirit Right? that was was, and became a a famous book but the idea is to carry that devotional time into our day into whatever you're doing at work Um, so in between different projects at work between emails I might say something like Lord may your blessing be on this next moment may your blessing be on this next moment as a way of connecting with God. And that's, a way, that's what we can do to help generate this expectancy. If we, do, you know, if we find ourselves practicing that during the week, imagine how that can generate expect- expectancy as we come to worship. So again, I've set the Lord always before me. He's at my right hand. I will not be moved. I think our imagination is also an underused resource when it comes to both prayer and worship. William Law was an English priest born in the 17th century, um, and his writing inspired great church pioneers such as John and Charles Wesley, as well as William Wilberforce, who, as you will know, abolished, helped abolish slavery. So I suspect his writings must have been pretty powerful. And he wrote a classic piece called A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life in 1729 quite an intimidating title, isn't it? A Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life. It's like, Lord, I don't feel that. So I'm ready for that. Um, and it's from a different era, but I think that the language is, is both challenging but inspiring. Um, and one of the less challenging bits is where he talks about using your imagination. And, and I'll quote from him. He says, before you begin your psalm of praise and rejoicing in God, make this use of your imagination. Be still And imagine yourself that you see the heavens open and the glorious choirs of cherubims and seraphims about the throne of God. Imagine that you hear the music of those angelic voices. And funny enough, we've been looking at Revelation today. He says, imagine such scriptures as in Revelation chapter 7, where it says, I beheld in heaven a great multitude which no man could number. Of all nations, of all people, Standing before the throne. Just imagine for a moment being in that picture. Imagine as we worship being caught up in the drama of heaven, the drama of what God is doing right now across the earth. He says, think upon this till your imagination has carried you above the clouds. I wonder what it would be like if we practice engaging our imaginations in this way, to help us lean into worship, to prayer, again, or reading scripture at your, at your desk as you work from home or, or in the office, might be something to experiment with. How might this unify us as a worshiping community? And it's not that we should you know, feel any self-condemnation if we, if we don't do this. Um, The fact is our minds are prone to wander and, and, as the song says, prone to going astray. And we learn, don't we, to turn our minds back to God. Some of you, as I'm talking right now, your mind is wandering somewhere else, I'm sure. And in some ways, the sermon going on in your own head right now is probably more important than what I'm saying. Finally, Richard Foster wrote a book, which I've got here. Um, I thought I'd copy SP's practice of bringing a book with me just to let everyone know I do read. and you know. no, no competition, of course, just I've got one too <laughs> so um, i'm I'm completely honestly i've I've not read all of this, but um <laughs> I've, read, I've read the front cover <laughs> Yeah. I just quickly dipped into it before the message and thought, <laughs> let me just pretend that I read the book. <laughs> no, I've read, um, so there's a bit on worship on this, which I think is absolutely great. So it was written in 17, not 17, 1978. Um, and uh, and Richard Foster is uh, uh, part of the uh, Renovare community. Um, which Joe, I think is sitting here. Joe will know um, the movement very well. And um, Richard Foster says, Um, A primary feature of worship in the Bible is that people gathered in what you could call holy expectancy. They believed they would hear what's called the call Yahweh, the voice of God. They gathered with anticipation, knowing that Christ was present among them. When more than two come together in public worship with a sort of holy expectancy, it doesn't mean you're being overly serious or overly stiff but know that it can change the atmosphere in a room. There's so much to be said here. And I I, want to pray that as we come and we gather, not just on a Sunday, but as you take the moments at home or in Battersea, wherever you are in the week, and you take the moment to turn your attention to Lord, I want to pray that God will increase our expectancy. Can we dare to be expectant again, even in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of loss, in the midst of suffering? Can we dare to expect our God, who is a good God, to move in our lives? I wonder what's happened to our expectancy. Yeah, if the band want to to come up, thank you. I pray that God will help you take what we've talked about this morning into your own lives and make it practical for you as you discuss it in your life groups, in your quiet time. I pray for a a real sense of God's love that, as Paul said, we would know the height, the depth of God's love that surpasses all understanding. Father, I pray for hearts this morning that may well be disappointed, that may have been struggling, going through questions, or it might just be just the the cares of life, the intensity of work. Father, I lift up every soul before you this morning, and I pray you would increase our expectancy, Father, that you would increase our awareness of you, I pray for words, our own language, our own simple expressions that we can use to practice your presence, as Brother Lawrence would talk about, to practice your presence wherever we are, in the midst of angry children, friends, co-workers. Lord, would you teach us ways to encounter you on a daily basis? Would you, as we sing now with the band, Help us to enter into the words, Lord, that we can imagine you, God, being right beside us as we sing, listening to our every word, because indeed you're here, you're love, you are love. There's nothing we can do to separate ourselves from you. So Father, every hindrance, every weight that might beset us, every thought, um, I pray, I just want to declare and release an empowerment over everyone to take authority over their own minds that when we hear the accuser telling us all sorts of stupidness we can say, get thee behind me Satan because you're not mindful of the things of God but of the things of man. So I do just release freedom over us, over our hearts and I thank you that for those of us that are in Christ there is no condemnation. So, may your blessing be on us as we sing. In the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.